Hi, Thea Hills here and welcome to the Virtual Coffee House podcast. Today I'm here with one of our partners, Colette Stone, an experienced action learning and experiential facilitator. We're going to dive straight into the subject matter today, which is toxic questions that kill learning. So tell us more, Colette. Tell us more. Thank you, Fee. I wanted to talk about questions again, as you know, that's the thing that's dear to my heart. But noticing recently, I've been doing quite a bit of action learning set facilitation, different groups, different sectors. And we know that the basis of action learning is the ability to ask each other insightful questions. And mm-hmm. one of the groups yesterday said to me, so what's an insightful question then? And I do my facilitator supportive thing and I explain and I show them some examples and we get going and the sets are going really well. For both of the sets that I was working with recently, it was their first time out and they're learning the, the technique. And as we were going through the session, I noticed that what they were starting to do was to play the system a little bit, if that's possible in an action learning set. They were starting to ask questions of each other, but in a way that allowed them to give the issue holder the benefit of their advice, knowing that at the start of the session, I'd set it up to say, please note, if you're starting to give advice, it isn't action learning. It's a business meeting. Go have a coffee and do that. But right here and now, our role is to ask the open and insightful questions to get the person with the issue to think it through for themselves. Give us an insightful question that, let's say, is non-toxic, it's good, it's productive. When you've listened to somebody's uh, situation, uh, you can ask, what else might be true about this situation? What the set members were starting to do with me was to say, um, Colette, I know you won't like this, but could I just say something about, and then they would explain the topics. And I would, I reflected with them, isn't that advice that you're about to give? And the response was generally, oh yes, but there's just this thing I want to say, I want to say because it's, it's going to be really helpful to this person. And letting it run once, but saying it's advice, it's not going to work for action learning but seeing that they were so energised, okay, offer your advice. And then it happened again and again. Could I just say here, I know, uh, and often preceded by, I know you won't like this. I know you don't want me to do this, but could I just say here? And at that point, I stopped proceedings. And I'm minded at the time, at the back of my head, I've got the work of David Rock, who um, in 2008 wrote his principles for and what he calls it, a brain-based model for collaborating with and influencing others. And he calls it the SCARF model. And a colleague of mine introduced that to me a few years ago, and I loved it because it just is simple and it made so much sense. And the SCARF uh, standing for status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness and fairness. And he explains that In order for another human being to feel comfortable and at ease and ready to learn and fully present, those that climate needs to be in place. So they feel safe. They feel certain of what's happening in this interaction and they know their status in that group or with that person. 
So coming back to the action learning set, what I noticed as the individuals were pushing their could I just point was what they were doing was they were starting to uh, vie for the status in the group. So there was a facilitator and they wanted to be, they wanted to take the, the lead in setting the frame for the group. So there was a status contest in that question, could I just? They were challenging certainty because the individual who had the issue was waiting whilst this debate finished. And he or she are now no longer clear who's in charge, what the questions are, who they should answer, whether they should or they shouldn't. All of those brain processes are triggered by a helpful individual saying, could I just mention? And that's when I started to think, actually, some questions that sound really harmless and well-meaning can have a toxic impact in that they will stop in the tracks of any listener, their ability to work things out for themselves because they're now being asked to wait while they get some useful advice. Are there some common questions that block the learning in this type of action learning, or it, it, and that, that works the same, by the way, in experiential learning, as you know. So are there some types of questions that you have noticed that make, make these blocks happen? Yeah, because this caused me to start to think about it now and listen for it. My antennae were up when uh, to hear if there are any more of these questions. So in addition to could I just, which actually means I sound like I'm asking your permission, but I am going to do it anyway. Then the um, next one that came to mind was, have you not, meaning, have you not thought of doing that this way? Have you not tried this? And that sounds helpful. That's really participative and collaborative. Have you not done this? What's the subtext? Sometimes the subtext, subtext is, have you not done this because that's what I would do? Why don't you know that? And that's the that's the angle. That's the toxicity part end of it. That's the one that starts to knock your feeling of certainty in this conversation, because now the other person is making it clear you're lacking in some way. Have you not thought of doing it this way? Am I right interpreting what you're saying as what is normally clear is the intention behind that type of question or statement sometimes, I'm sure, can be in itself unhelpful, negative or toxic? Yes, it's absolutely to do with the intention behind the words. Otherwise, we'd be uh, becoming very worried anytime anybody in any context asks us, have you not done something? So it's not about the phrase itself is a problem. It's absolutely the intention behind it. And sometimes those questions are neutral. Or in fact, the asker of the question has no sense that what they're doing is helping to block the other person's learning. And and sometimes they do have a sense that what they're wanting to do is a little bit of one-upmanship. Depends on why they're asking it, but there's something to listen for in the context, for example, of a learning group. When you've got a group of managers together, very senior usually, who are really wanting to work hard at a knotty problem, they don't need to have someone in the group who's asking these apparently easy questions, but actually have a bit of a toxic background to them. And never intentionally, and that's, I think, the, the core of this conversation, is that there isn't really a strong intent to make it harder for the other person to learn or to understand something. It's done with the best of intentions. 
what I was thinking about with this topic, Fee, is that the best of intentions might not be the best fit if what to, together you're wanting to do is to learn collaboratively. So why do we do that? Because I know I've done it. <laughs> I'm sitting here as one of the guilty parties, no doubt I've done that. What is driving this behaviour in us to do this? There could be lots of answers to that question, but the one that sticks most strongly with me is, you know how we're in a conversation with someone, we're both listening and thinking hard about the next thing we want to say. It's not really being truly present with the other person because you're wanting to make sure that the next thing you say to them makes sense. Maybe you want to impress them. Maybe you want to share the benefit of your wisdom with them. So you're listening with one ear, but you're processing with the rest of your brain. I think that's what's underneath these potentially toxic questions is that we're hearing someone has a situation that they want help with. And our internal processing is going, well, I can help with that. I've done that. I've got an answer for that. I know how to do that. And as you're processing that, but knowing as well that it's not really the time or the place to say, I can sort that for you. What comes out instead is this kind of neutral question, which is designed to be helpful, but actually has that backstory to it. So could I just is probably coming from a whole series of internal processing around, well, I do it this way or why don't they do that? Or why on earth didn't they think of the other? All of those processes and thoughts are deeply hidden and we might not even be aware ourselves that that's what's going on when we're thinking about what to say next. But I think that's at the root of it. What's the connection between that and having a fixed mindset rather than a growth mindset? Do you think? The connection. That's a really good question. I thank you. I was. <laughs> I thought I'm with the questioning queen here, so I thought got to throw one in that's quite good here thank you for that one there's a, a connection between asking a when we ask a question that we already think we know the answer to we've just wandered into the fixed mindset zone mm -hmm. and particularly in action learning where if we ask a question that we already know the answer to it's taking away the issue holders ability to work things out for themselves and it's throwing them off course because this is going to cause them to think oh there must be a right answer here and I clearly can't find it because that person's question suggests that there is an answer so um yeah the overall effect of it is to spread a little bit of fixed mindset across the whole conversation because sometimes it's good to make assumption and sometimes it isn't it's when we do it in the wrong place I think you'd agree so when people say we've done that before and it didn't work, then that stops learning, that blocks learning, especially in a creative space. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And applying the same kind of uh, logic to it. So what's under the surface when somebody feels they need to say tried that before didn't work? Why are they mentioning it now? And there could be all sorts of reasons, of course, but the ones that spring to mind are you clearly are deluded you don't understand you just don't understand how complex this situation is because I've tried it and it didn't work so don't know why you think it will work so there could be some of that going on and there could be some hang on a minute 
I tried it. I gave it my best. It didn't work. I'm not really ready for you to try it, do the same thing and actually succeed. So I just want you to know this isn't going to be as simple as you thought it was. But both mm. of those are going to the same triggers we spoke about just now, which is it's the inner voice telling us the, the parallel conversation, the one that's saying, hang on, that person isn't getting this. We, we'll need to put them right. Let's just tell them I've tried that before. It doesn't work. Mm. Along with with all due respect. <laughs> well, now that's lovely, isn't it? I think that one is universally recognised as being the absolute opposite of what the speaker has said. With all due respect, usually for me, again, if I'm interpreting the the reason that when you've got to a conversation that somebody has to say that, for me, it means there's been a trigger hit. Some kind of an emotional contact has been reached that's made that individual either really uncomfortable or a bit cross. Looking at David Rock's model, there's something around um, a misalignment of status between uh, the people speaking that to need to say with all due respect for the individual saying that, we would guess what they're saying is, I don't think you've got enough respect for me in this conversation. Or I want you to know I sort of respect who you are and what you're saying, and uh, I just need to put you straight. We're fixed mindset again. Either of those yeah. possibilities, and there's probably another dozen that it, that could be possible. There's very few in that dozen that are going to promote a growth mindset. So share a few more questions with us that you would consider our learner blockers. I've just got a couple more because I, I think we all have our own triggers in terms of when people ask us particular questions, the impact it has on us. So two more. This one is, is just quite straightforward. When you're in a learning situation and somebody that you're that's working with you says, why don't you do this? We know mm -hmm. that's that's 101, isn't it? When you are with a learner, unless it's dangerous and they have to you're getting them out of trouble, uh, or there's a really good reason why you just need to tell that person the answer. Why don't you do this is code for just get on with it, please. It's taking too long. And again, it's implying that you should know the answer, but you don't. And it's back to the fixed mindset on both sides. The individual being asked that question, if they hear it often or versions of it, the result is that it's going to start to persuade them that maybe that's true. And they begin to consolidate their fixed mindset, which would be a real shame. Okay. And any others? Uh, last one. In general conversation, I sometimes hear, and I'm guilty of this one, where you want to say something that you feel is really obvious, but you don't want the group that you're talking to to feel that you're in some way insulting their experience. So it starts with, I'm sure you know this, but and then, <laughs> but have you thought about, um, did you know that? But it starts off with a, I'm sure you know this, so that you get people with you and nodding. We don't know what she's going to say, but she's probably right. We probably do know it. So now we're listening. Nod. Yes. And then the speaker goes on to tell you something that you absolutely do know. So why is she mentioning it? Or actually, you don't know. And now we're back to fixed mindset. This person has just told me I know this. I don't know this. 
And I don't feel comfortable to tell her that I know this. So I'm not going to learn because I'm now worrying about not saying that I don't know something. So that's a bit of a showstopper too. I totally agree with you. But I also, that's coming across to me, regardless of whether I say it or you say it or anyone else says it, is quite passive aggressive. So- it depends on the tone of voice and the intention, as you were saying before, Fee. So I, want to, I wouldn't want it to be landing as these sentences are in a no-go area that they can never be used because they'll always result in a fixed mindset. Not so. Mm. And sometimes, depending on the tone of voice and the body language that goes with it and the intention that the speaker has, they absolutely can stop a learner in their tracks. And that's what we're looking for to avoid that. In the context of a creative thinking setting, problem solving, these are not right. But maybe in the context of a different setting, they could be fine. Completely. They've got no place in a creative environment, really. That mm. In that environment, we're in much more into what else is possible? What else could be true? Is there any anywhere else you've seen this before that looks, looks different? Um, sometimes asking uh, people... What what's you what it, what are you thinking and feeling about this? Because they might give you two different answers. It's a curious environment. These questions can help to unlock someone's thinking, to have new thoughts, just based on the way that you ask a question and the question you choose to ask them. But spotting the opportunity, particularly in that action learning set context, again, it's real time. It's live. It's being completely present with a group of learners and spotting when's the time to ask that person, that issue holder, the best insightful question that gets them thinking. And when that happens, what I, with my practice, what I'll say to those learners is, what you're doing here is causing the issue holder to stop and think. So when he or she says, that's a good question, I just need to think about it, you've cracked it. All we need to do now is just stay very quiet for at least a minute and watch their face, watch them as they process what you've asked them and wait and see what the end facial expression is. And quite often it's a great big smile because you got them to a place that they'd not realised before was possible. And then they usually will say, OK, I've got it. I know what my action's going to be. And they're off and running. What you did there was the right time spotted the right question and you gave the learner the space to answer it okay brilliant it's fascinating isn't it because it seems so unimportant and yet it has such a different outcome in terms of getting together for an either action learning or a problem solving session and it would mean you know we don't get the outcome we want or we do based on our ability to manage how we ask questions how many business meetings do we sit in or have been in where the energy that's there at the start of the meeting where the the participants are energized excited wanting to get on with the agenda and by the end of the meeting they are looking fed up depressed they've lost interest they've switched off and what caused that it can be the fixed mindset way of asking questions that makes it clear that whoever's chairing the meeting has kind of already decided what the right answers are. The group is not really required, but it's in our diary to have a meeting. So we're having the meeting. And then you, when the meeting's over, you just see leaving the room, eight to 10 quite dejected people 
who wanted to do more and give their best and it just wasn't welcome. So it's how we evoke this growth mindset even in meetings. So this has a specific application of how do we shift from doing the thinking for people by making assumptions to facilitating them to think for themselves, which is what you're trying to do in action learning. Is that right? Yes. Well, not not just trying to help them to think for themselves, but making it creating the environment where it's possible for them to do it, because it's, this is not to say that members of an action learning set can't think for themselves. We all can. What that environment does is make it easier, makes it possible gives you a fighting chance of being able to do it. And the only way to do that, I've found over the last few years of running these events, is to really get the group to hold back on asking questions that are just about them being curious, wanting to know more, wanting to solve your problem for you. Though wow. All of those questions, as we've said at the beginning of this, they just lock it down. They frustrate and they don't encourage learning. Once I've heard your assumption, for the yeah. rest of that meeting, I can't unhear it, can I? No, it'll knock your confidence. I sort of reflecting now what I see in those various learning sets. Your confidence will be knocked. You'll be less likely to say something uh, because you'll be processing it now to check it doesn't sound silly. You'll uh, question yourself and what often happens is once I've once you realize that that's what's happening and you get the trust of the group strengthened and the the ability of that group to support each other it starts to come out in conversation then you know I couldn't have asked that question last time because I didn't feel safe or confident enough but now we've got to know each other a bit better I don't mind asking you that because it doesn't sound so silly that's the next stage from fixed mindset, in my view, to try. That's a testing it out, isn't it? That's just saying, I think I've asked a good question or made a good statement, but I'm just checking you don't think it's daft. And it's at that point that you want the support of a learning set, a coach, a tutor, a colleague to be able to reassure and say, absolutely fine. Brilliant question. Brilliant observation. And how often have we heard people say, because you asked that question, it made it possible for me to think through something. So thank you. So what we're looking for is to unlock people's ability to contribute in a learning setting by helping them to feel creative and feel safe and able to ask the question that works for them or make the statement that works for them. Just going to take one of your toxic questions here. Could I just, what could we say instead? Depends why you wanted to say, could I just? When it comes up in an action learning set, my request is usually, please don't ask it at all. Because what you're potentially saying here is you're asking permission, but you're not. You're, you're just warning us all. You're about to tell us something we didn't want you to say right now. My recommendation there is notice you're about to say it in this context and don't say it. Don't ask it. Hmm. Hold back painful but yeah it can be done and have you not yeah it's a it's almost a double negative why why are we saying have you not rather than have you and I think that's around because we can tell that have you done this or that is obviously advice and we've agreed with that nice facilitator we're not going to do that 
but putting in a knot kind of reverses it. So have you not thought of this? That's just, it gets so twisty that by the time the person who's being asked that question has worked out what you mean, time's passed anyway. So if it's a direct question, I would suggest we ask a direct question. Have you done this? Have you not? Bit more confusing, takes longer to process. Actually, I know how to do this, and I'm just uh, I'm just asking you questions to get you to work out the right answer. Have you done this? And uh, expecting the answer, oh no, I haven't thought of that. Thank you. More often than not, though, you get the response which yes, I have thought of that, and I've thought of all these other things, which just demonstrating that it can become a really unhelpful question if the context is wrong. Excellent. This is really helpful. And I know it's going to be helpful for the listeners because it's one of those things we probably don't think of as being that toxic. What this has done is helped us understand where it can be toxic and the very important reason why we shouldn't do it. So what's the bottom line message here, Colette? Bottom line for me today is around the sensitivity to the needs of other people that you're working with. What do they need to hear from from you or me right now in a particular setting are they needing space to think in which case my role is to give them that space and not to fill it with all my good ideas for how they can do something better so being sensitive to the context and having at the back of our minds that we want to support them in a growth mindset is where I would be today I want to thank you for today and as I understand it Colette you're going to be hosting lots and lots of podcast sessions with us on the subjects of questioning and how to develop the skill of questioning as a learning capability. Is that correct? Thank you, Fee. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so we can look forward to more of this fascinating subject and very complex subject. All that's left to say, Colette, is thank you for today and I look forward to the next session. Thank you very much, Fee.